Good morning, everyone, and welcome to One Tribe Online. And uh, we're going to be diving into Daniel chapter 6 in just a few moments. For those of you who perhaps um, haven't been journeying with us yet over the, over the last few weeks, we are about halfway through the book of Daniel right now. And uh, each week we've been treating it as a kind of pandemic survival toolkit where we are going through Scripture. And as we go through this incredible story, we're kind of just picking up different things that are powerful and helpful to us in the season that we are going through. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive straight into the book of Daniel. And then at the end, I'm going to go through a time of what the Bible itself describes as scripture reading. It's hard to explain right now, but I think it's going to help us. I think it's going to really feed our souls and um, be a blessing to you. But for now, let's pray. God of Daniel, and God over pandemics and viruses and all that we can go through, we bring ourselves to you right now, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that whether we are feeling close to you right now in our spiritual journey or far away from you, that we would hear your voice, that it would be like daily bread to us, and that it would uh, have a transforming effect in our hearts. And everyone said, Amen. What happened last week? Belshazzar, king of Babylon, has a meeting with Daniel, an exiled Jew from Jerusalem. And in the context of all of that, God's judgment is pronounced. Belshazzar dies that very night, and the Persian army takes over the city of Babylon, led by a man called Darius. We pick it up in Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, think Nairobi county governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel, as you'd expect, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. What's going on over here? Apparently, kind of like in Kenya, in Persia, what used to be Babylon, in the Persian Empire, corruption was a massive issue. And the king set up this bureaucratic structure so that he wouldn't suffer loss, so that the state revenues would come in as they should. Co corruption was a major issue. And in this, all that was going on, Daniel stands as a man, high up in the civil service, and he's an honest, he's an honest guy. And in a corrupt system, honest guys are a problem. And so these people, this cartel, tries to get some dirt on Daniel and friends. This is absolutely stunning. They search and look and search and look and some more. They can't find anything on him. They can't get any dirt. And friends, at the outset of this story today, I think it's appropriate for those of us in Nairobi, those of us in Kenya, those of us in Africa or in different nations of the world to lament a couple of things. Number one is to lament corruption. 
We can call ourselves a Christian nation or a Christian continent or a Christian business and this and that. But to lament the state of corruption in our city and in our nation, to lament, it's, 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 to, be, it's to, be, to be sorry, to be remorseful, to be repentant and to cry out to God over our sin and the effects of our sin. We want to look at men like Daniel. This is absolutely stunning. There's no grounds for charges against Daniel. The cartel couldn't make a case. No corruption. Trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. You see, in leaders, often we look for gifting. And too often and increasingly in this day and age, we forget to also be looking for character. We have a lot of gifted leaders around. But as you look at the international landscape, leaders of character are a rare and precious finding. It's interesting that the biblical qualifications for leadership and eldership in the local church, if you read them, they are actually higher than the character qualifications to be president of Kenya or president of the United States of America or prime minister of Great Britain. And friends, as God's people, we need to ask for God's spirit to transform us and make us men and women of character, like Daniel was. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. They said hey, we reached a unanimous, de unanimous decision. It can't have been a unanimous decision because it would have needed Daniel to agree with it, and he clearly wouldn't have agreed with this. Now, O king, issue the decree. Put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put this ridiculous decree in writing. So for 30 days, one Bible commentator says, there was one representative of the gods and one mediator between the gods and man, Darius the Mede. <laughs> Let's read on. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, pause there, what would you have done? The government announces for 30 days, no one prays to anyone except Darius the Mede, king of Persia, what would you have done? I'm not sure what I'd have done. But I wonder if I might have decided on a, a tactical retreat to regroup for a while. Maybe even felt a little bit relieved. Oh man, it's 30 days, just 30 days when I can't pray. I'm actually not allowed to pray. Look at what Daniel does. He went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Huh. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Before we look at the effects of that, one of the great things that we can learn right now in this story is the power of persistent prayer. We're gonna look at two pandemic survival tools this morning, and this is pandemic survival tool number one. Friends, if we're gonna make it through this and come out stronger on the other side, 
we need to learn the power of persistent prayer. We see that in the life of Daniel. And how do you get to a, a, a powerful prayer life like Daniel's? Well, there's some great practical wisdom here. Firstly, Daniel had a place. He would pray in the same place every day, three times a day. This was his rhythm to go up to this upper room and to pray. Yes, he was facing Jerusalem. I don't think that that's as relevant now in these New Testament times. God, God has a plan for Jerusalem and for Israel and for all the nations of the world. But the important thing is just this, this rhythm that uh, Daniel had of going to a place his place for prayer. What's your place for prayer? Might be a walk, might be a place in your house, might be a place in your room. But I want to encourage us to start seeking to become a people of powerful and persistent prayer. And that starts with a place. And then the second thing we see in Daniel is we see a practice, a practice of three times a day, every day, going and kneeling before God. And this is comparable to our lockdown restrictions where actually we've, we've reached a place where we, we are not able to gather as Christian churches as we have been for decades and decades. And in that context, how do we respond? Daniel had a prayer lockdown. We have a meeting lockdown. It can be easy to sit back and say, oh, well, I'd, I'd have loved to go to church. It's so difficult. And oh, getting online, it's, it's, it's a bit of hard work. Friends, we can do better. And the irony is, if you're watching this, I'm probably preaching to the converted, but I want to encourage us. If we look at the history, that the heritage that's been handed down to us. Oh man, we want to be those who said, even in lockdown, we were gathering online, we were gathering on the phone, we were gathering everywhere that we could and expressing our, expressing our devotion and love for God and our love for one another. Daniel would stick to this practice, even if it was dangerous. And one person commented that, you know, I'll read it, it's a great comment. Daniel's practice of prayer shows us that the dangers we don't see are generally much greater than the dangers we do see. When we watch Daniel being lowered into the lion's den, we hold our breath in fear and anticipation. Yet by that point, the danger has already been overcome and the great fight has been fought. It is indeed a wondrous miracle that God preserves one of his children in the lion's den, but it is no less a miracle that God's gracious hand saved Daniel when all of Babylon, encouraged by Satan, attempted to pry apart those two aged hands tightly clasped in prayer. Daniel had this practice of prayer. He also had an incredible posture in prayer. He would kneel down. And some people say it doesn't matter whether you pray kneeling or standing. I agree with that to a certain extent, but I also believe that what our body does helps express our spirit and helps train our spirit and train our souls. And Daniel's soul had been trained in humility. He'd get down on his knees. PJ spoke a couple of weeks ago about us taking the posture of a servant in our lives. Another commentary being so helped by the, the Bible Speaks Today commentary for all of the messages in this series so far. It says kneeling in prayer is not a matter of indifference. It reminds you of your true position. It's as if you say, I'm a servant. He is the king. I don't live in a democracy, but under a monarchy. He's not my errand boy. I never present my demands. I am always a beggar at the throne of grace. And though it's a throne of grace, 
I never forget it is a throne. Friends, a, a place of prayer, a, a practice of prayer, a posture of humility in our hearts in prayer. Persistence in prayer. Daniel demonstrates this by this point in the story. Remember we met in chapter one, a teenage Hebrew boy. Now, he's an over 80 years old ex-prime minister. He's still praying, still persevering in prayer. Are there areas of your prayer life where you've been tempted to give up, where you've given up already? I want to encourage you to be like Daniel. Let Daniel mentor us today in prayer. Spurgeon, another great man of prayer, from a couple of hundred years ago, he, uh, he said this, he, he said, uh, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. I want to encourage you, if you've downed your prayer tools, in whatever area of your life, let's pick them up again. And by perseverance with that snail, we'll reach the ark. Daniel's prayer had a place, had a practice, had a posture, had persistence. And the last dimension of this power was it was a public prayer. I think it would have been so tempting to say, for, for, for uh, 30 days, I think I'll, I'll just change my prayer habits and just pray in secret, pray in private. I love what Tim Keller says. He says that our Christianity, the, our Christian faith is deeply personal, but that doesn't mean that it's private. Our Christian faith is personal and it's public as well because it affects every area of our lives. And Daniel didn't want to back down publicly from his devotion to his God. He made, a, he made a call, he made a decision, which is more important to me, my safety or my devotion to my God. And he went for his devotion to his God. Let's read on one more powerful tool that we, we're going to get to. And I, I think it'll bless you. So they went to the king and spoke to the king about his royal decree. Uh, they said, oh, oh king, um, just, uh, just remind us, uh, uh, did you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O oh, king, would be thrown into the lion's den? I, I may be misremembering, but could you just jog our memories? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, oh, oh. You see, um, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day, O king. What are we going to do with this guy? When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel. He made every effort to save him until sundown. Then the men went as a group again to the king and said to him, Oh, um, king, we're just seeing that the day is passing. And um, remember, O oh king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. He couldn't sleep 
At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Pandemic survival tool number one for today was a persistent, persistent prayer life. And God's calling a lot of us to that in this time. Pandemic survival tool number two, our last one for this morning, is a clear vision of Jesus. Prayer isn't anything unless it brings us to a clear vision of Jesus. Our Bible reading isn't anything unless it brings us to a clear vision of Jesus. Quoted Spurgeon once before this morning already, but he, he used to say that uh, every verse of Scripture points to Jesus. As he said that, someone said to him, some, some lady perhaps said to him, um, Mr. Spurgeon, my, my verse doesn't do that. It doesn't point to Jesus. And Spurgeon said, if, if it doesn't, then move quickly to the next one, because that one will. <laughs> All of Scripture is designed to point us to Jesus. And Daniel chapter 6 is a superb example. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through a ton of Scripture. And I'm going to read through it in the hope of giving you and I a clearer vision of Jesus this morning. If, if I can do that in our remaining moments, I'll have served us well. And we get a clear vision of Jesus from this story when we come to understand that Jesus is the true and greater Daniel. Jesus is the true and greater Daniel. Why do I say that? Track with me and get ready for a lot of scripture and let it soak into your heart. God, show us Jesus through these scriptures. Jesus is the true and greater Daniel. In verse three, Daniel was promised a kingdom. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
Jesus was promised a kingdom. Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule Jesus in the midst of your enemies. They could find no fault in Daniel. Verse 4, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. They were unable to do so. They could find no fault in Jesus. John 19, 4, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Daniel was an innocent man on the wrong side of a human law that couldn't be changed. The king answered, the decree stands, which cannot be repealed. Jesus was an innocent man on the wrong side of God's law that could not be changed. A stone was placed over the mouth of the lion's den. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. We see that a stone was placed over Jesus' tomb. 27.60, Matthew 27.60, he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. That's uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Daniel was sealed in the lion's den. The king sealed it with his own signet, signet ring. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. They went and put, made this tomb secure, Matthew 27, 66, by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Daniel was forsaken by his king, by King Darius. The, then the king returned to his palace in verse 18. Jesus was forsaken by his God. Matthew 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Daniel 6, 19. At dawn, there's a journey to the lion's den. Matthew 28, verse 1. The lady's journey to Jesus' tomb. Daniel was vindicated in his innocence. Jesus, in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he's declared with power to be the son of God and therefore innocent by his resurrection from the dead. I love this. Daniel, Daniel 6 verse 23, he's lifted out of the lion's den by the king's orders. Acts 2 verse 24, Jesus, the true and greater Daniel, is lifted out of death by the God, by the God who rescues, by the God who saves, by the God who can lift us out of death. Daniel 6 verse 23, Daniel was examined for wounds. John 20 verse 27, Thomas comes and he examines Jesus for wounds. And Jesus says, put your hands here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. No wound was found on Daniel because he had trusted God. 6 verse 23, no wound was found on him. But wounds were found on Jesus. And the wounds were real because scripture says, by his wounds, we are healed. First Peter 2 verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And finally, God was glorified in the nations in the story of Daniel. 6 verse 26, Darius decrees, in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, Jesus is our true and better Daniel, 
and he's worthy of all the worship that we could ever give him. I'd love us to get into one more worship song right now. Then after that, we'll have our discussion time.